0: Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful November A a brisk November... What is it, morning afternoon? What is it right now? Morning. Morning. We are still nine minutes. There's still nine minutes left of the morning. Uh, Happy Sunday. It's really lovely and wonderful to see everybody here. Uh, We are in trying times for our country. (laughs) now. Now that it's done politically, we're in trying times and help. Uh, I know that COVID is surging and a lot of regulations are changing. I pray that everybody is staying safe. Um, We have two two weeks left, including this week. Other than this week, we have one week left of the Book of Acts. It's amazing. Oh my God. It's amazing. Thank you guys for holding on through like 32 weeks or some crazy number like that. Um, But we are finishing up our sermon series on Acts. Uh, Yeah, so I just want to first start with a question. I don't usually start with a question, and I normally, if it was in person, I would make you guys look at each other and ask each other this question. Um, So ask yourselves really well, Don't, don't slack on it, but my question is, how much do you trust in God when an unexpected situation hits you? How much do you trust in God when an unexpected situation or storm or trial hits you. Today I'll be reading from Acts 27. We are reading from Acts 27, 1 through Acts 8. Acts 8, 10. So we're all stuck. Acts 8:10. Normally, I would read only a, a portion of this, but because it is very much a story, I'm going to read it all the way through. Acts 27:1 to Acts 28:10. This is the word of the Lord. And when it was when it was decided that we would sail sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adre- Adramidum, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, and gave him leave to go to his friends and be careful. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria set up, sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. And coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a, face, a place called Fairhavens, near which was the city of La Silla. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the Centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island named Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirdis, they lowered the gear and and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life, life among you, but only of the ship. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the boat, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they let in the ship, throwing out the weed into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The boat stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on plants or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had become to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands, belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who had received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? God, I just, God, I just want to give you glory this morning. Wow. What a riveting story. What a riveting journey of a man that actually walked the earth. God, this is no Homer's Odyssey. This is no epic. God, this is no Middle Eastern myth. But Lord, this is your work, your handiwork. I pray, God, that you would give us understanding where we need understanding. I pray, God, that you would give us clarity where clarity is needed. I pray, God, that you would help us to see the ways in which you have shown us your way. Shown us your light on our way. I pray, Father Lord, that as Every single person is listening to this, wherever they are, including myself, God. All of our souls are in need of you. And I just pray, God, every single space... Right now, where every single person is listening to this, I pray, Father, that the four corners of that room would be covered by the Spirit in Jesus' name. I pray that any single distraction that keeps us from hearing the word of God will be cleared in Jesus' name. Any distraction in our minds will be cleared in Jesus' name. For, Father God, you are speaking to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that only you are magnified and you are glorified. I am nothing without you, and everything I do is for you. This small person, what am I? Who am I to preach? But God, it is your word. It is your scripture. So God, I pray that you would be magnified in us. Father, we thank you. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so today I was asking you guys, what do you do? Do you trust God when something unexpected hits you? Today, the sermon is, the title is The Nor'easter. The main idea for all of you guys who are taking notes is God is with us. In every impossible situation. I'm going to say that one more time. The main idea is God is with us. In every impossible situation. And before I go into this sermon. And before I break down this really, really epic story. I want us to put ourselves in the the shoes of Julius. For all of, or most of um, this sermon. Put yourself in the shoes of Julius. The voyage to Italy. So we see here in the beginning of the passage that Paul was handed over to a centurion named Julius who commanded the Augustan cohort. It says here that Julius was kind to Paul, but what that not really actually just means is that Julius was humane to Paul. So Julius wasn't treating Paul inhumanely. He allowed Paul to still be a human. He allowed Paul to still see his friends. And they began this voyage to Italy. They stopped by various places. They had people come along the way. And so there were a lot of different... Stops that were made. It was a long and tenuous and strenuous journey that Paul and Julius were on. And they were taking these steps to get there. Now the road got dangerous. I'm not going to go into every single step. I was going, I contemplated, I I really contemplated drawing out, like bringing a big sheet of paper and drawing out a map for you guys of where exactly Paul had hit. But didn't want to. I don't want to go there it's fine so just know that it was a long journey um they were making this journey in the fall uh the only timestamp, stamp of the date that is given is uh yom kippur or the fast or the day of atonement um it's projected this is about 8059. so it's a projected that around 8059, yom kippur was in was october 5th um and the navigation is said to be open until November, early November. And so uh, it was nearing the end. It's when the days are getting cooler, fall is setting in, winter is about to hit. And they're at sea, Um, so there are a lot of different things that happen on sea that doesn't necessarily happen on land. A lot of sea storms and whatnot, and so navigation gets a little difficult, especially in the fall. And, you know, it's a long journey already as is, so they were stuck along the way. The road got continually dangerous, and it started taking extra time. The normal route was to... This is why I wanted to draw The normal route was to round the eastern Cape of Crete and sail along the southern coast of the island. Uh, but they kept, they kept having to, like, tack back and forth. Like, if this is the road that they were supposed to make it, they kept having to, like, tap back and forth to just make it. And if it was supposed to be a straight line close to shore, what ended up happening is that they just kind of had to, sometimes they got back and sometimes they, it was like, there were a lot of detours that came along, Uh, nothing was necessarily going to plan. Now, after the Day of Atonement in the fall, the weather got even worse. So Paul, he stands up. Now, Paul is a very experienced traveler, and he's also probably the only other Roman citizen other than the centurion on the boat. We've talked about this all throughout the Book of Acts. Roman citizenship is incredibly hard to obtain. Uh, but Paul is a natural-born Roman citizen, which is almost impossible, which means he was born into power. And so Paul's voice is, is loud, even, it's supposed to be loud, even when he is a prisoner. Because the centurion himself is not as important is Paul. Um, So Paul gets up, he's an experienced traveler, he's a Roman citizen, and he says, y'all, we gotta stop moving. It's already Yom Kapoor, the fast has passed, navigation's gonna be even difficult, I I think that there's gonna be something that hits that's going to jeopardize not just the boat, but our lives. And, you know, even though, this is the interesting thing, like, even though Julius was You know kind to paul and humane to paul most likely because paul is a roman citizen he doesn't listen to paul over the hired captain and the owner now who is a captain at the time a captain is a professional who has full authority over the running of the vessel and full command of its crew so the centurion consults with the professionals and doesn't listen to the person who actually has experience, uh, because experience has nothing to do with profession. Um, Paul has experience traveling. You can't, you can't you can't buy experience, right? Uh you can learn, you can apprentice, you can you can learn a skill through apprenticeship, but you can't buy experience. Uh so this hired captain has the the qualifications, but Paul has the sheer experience. Um, And yet the centurion doesn't listen to him. Doesn't listen to him. And he, the captain and the owner says, nah, it's good. Let's just keep moving. And so the centurion pushes Paul's words aside and they keep moving. And sure enough, they get caught in a very nasty Northeaster. Now we all know I did not fully know what a nor'easter was in New York, but now I know what a nor'easter is because of Boston, right? So we all know, but a nor'easter usually hits us around the winter time. Actually, that's not even true because Boston weather sucks, um, but, and we got snow, what, what was it, October, the end of October? So never mind, scrap all of that, but, um, this nor'easter hits the sea in October. Oh my God, just as crazy as Boston. The weather proves to be just as crazy as Boston. And, or if not worse, they get caught in a really, really nasty nor'easter that had actually come into the sea from land. Um, And so the ship, normally the ship sets sail, there are huge sails that help to channel the winds to help it go a particular way. But because the nor'easter was so strong, the ship basically... Couldn't set sail on its own anymore. So it went into survival mode. Now, the, there are three, there are four steps to the survival mode, okay? You do this thing where you call the support. It's called like wrapping and I think flacking or Anyways, so it's like you take ropes, strong ropes, and you undergird the ship. So you you take it from the bottom of the ship to the other bottom of the ship to bring the planking together to make sure that the planking doesn't leak. So they start to add extra support to the bottom of the ship to keep the bottom of the ship from breaking. They take down the sails, they only put in a small sail, a small storm sail, and they stop trying to lead the boat in a particular direction in fear that the wood is going to snap. Then they throw all the non-essential equipment overboard because nothing else is helping. All of these things happen, but the the storm keeps going on. There's no sun or stars for many days. At the end of the time, it says that there were no sun and stars for 14 whole days. 14 whole days, and everybody had given hope, given up hope, and expected to die on sea. Why? Why is no sun and no sun and stars important? Sun and the stars were the way that they navigated. So that means, in some, what that means is, number one, all hell is breaking loose. Number two, the thing is about to snap. Number three, they don't even know where they're going. And they're completely caught up in the direction of this ship and that's it. So they're without direction for many days. And at this point, says in scripture that everyone has given up hope. Man, like, how would you guys feel if you were Julius? Like, pause right here for a second. How would y'all feel if you were Julius? Man. You know when you regret something really bad, you were warned, you were forewarned, and y'all regret something really bad? That always happens to be my mom, like, I don't know about y'all but i have this like i don't know what it is it's like in my bones it's like in my blood even when i try sometimes to listen to her if she says something and i want to do the other th- like when she tells me oh jane like fold up your clothes it just makes me want to leave it there do y'all know what i'm talking about it just i don't know what it is maybe if she left me on my own i would be like ah that's dirty i need to clean it up but once it comes out of her mouth i'm like Nah. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, you know, I've always had, like, situations, like, where my mom's like, hey, Jane, because I, I was a commuter, so I, I I commuted, I commuted to high school back and forth. My commute one way, in the morning it was the fastest, and the fastest it was, was an hour 15, because or maybe an hour, because it would take 15 minutes for my dad to drive me to the Bayside Lure, Long Island Railroad Station, it's different from the subway. And then it would take 25 to 30 minutes for the express lure to get into Penn Station, which is like South Station for New York, and then it would take another 15 minutes for me to get on board a crowded 2-3 train, that's the subway, onto Chamber Street, and then it takes 10 mi- minutes for me to walk. So like every day, it was like an hour commute, and if I, when I go home, it's an hour 30. So, like, there's that's a lot of time walking. That's a lot of time being outside. That's a lot of time, like, you know, I have to carry my really heavy book bag, um, and I carried a tote bag, so it was death. And my mom would always be like, you know, Jane, you should, you should bring this jacket. Like, you know, what in in, in high school, when you 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 just want to wear something that's stylish, and you're like, well, you know, it's forty five degrees outside, so I feel like this sweater will do. And your mom is like, Jane. It is 45 degrees outside. Like, what the hell are you doing? Go get a jacket. And I'm like, no. And it's like, before she said that, I'm like, oh, maybe I need a jacket. But then once she said that, I'm like, nah, I got it. I'm good. Right? And you leave the house and you get, you getting, you getting your and You don't feel it as much when you're in the car because your dad's been warning up the car, but right when you get off the station and you're walking, you're like, "Well damn, well damn." And just a small wind because you're like in train stations, they're kind of like like closed compartments. So there's something called like a typhoon effect where the wind blows like more harshly there. And every time just the wind blows, like you're like, (laughs) right? You're like, damn, I'm gonna be doing this for the rest of the day. God bless my soul, you know. Or like when it's cloudy outside, but you want to take your chances. You're, you don't want to carry your umbrella. You're like, nah, I don't need this umbrella. The weather says, you know, my phone says it's not going to rain. And your mom's like, Jane, it's going to rain. You can smell it in the air. You're, it's going to rain. You're like, what the hell does that even mean? It's okay. I'm good. Like I'm good. The meteorologist. I don't know what you're talking about. The meteorologists, they told me that it was not going to rain today. And then right when you get on the train station, on open air, it starts pouring. And you're like... You know, like when it's just pouring out, 6.30 a.m., you're like, this is not what I signed up for. I'm just trying to go to school. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you just regret something, somebody told you to do it, somebody who was experienced, maybe it wasn't their profession, maybe they weren't skilled at it, but their experience, they've been through something a little bit longer and they tell you, hey, or maybe in a relationship, this is the only example I know how to give, a relationship, a life direction, a career choice. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go this career choice. Or yeah, I'm going to be in this relationship. And then somebody who's been there, Then they're like, wait, wait, wait. Pause, pause, pause. Hold on a minute. Hold your horses for just one second. Let's think about the consequences of what this is going to bring about. And you're like, nah, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I'm ready. Maybe you weren't meant for business, but I'm meant for business, y'all. Or maybe, you know, maybe I know your relationship was bad, but you know, I really feel, you know, I I can do this. And then like a year into that major, that ill-fated major you chose in freshman year, you're like, damn. (laughs) I don't like any of my classes or like it's like oh damn I'm stuck in this relationship right now I don't know how to I don't know how to jump you know something like that right where it's like somebody told you somebody told you they had more experience and they told you but you were like nah I'm good I know what I'm doing and then all hell breaks loose and that's what's happening to Julius right now, right? Y'all, we all know, y'all, I know y'all are, you know, it's quiet because everybody's screens are off, but I know you know, I know you know. That sinking feeling in your stomach, you're like, hmm, I'll never admit it to the person, but maybe, maybe. I know you know, I know you know that feeling, I know you know that feeling, I know y'all don't like that feeling, but I'm sure that Centurion was going through like an ex- like an extended version of that feeling, right? Because this guy who's a Roman citizen that he treated well, he was like, yo, bro, we gotta not leave. But then there are these captains they are like, yeah, I think we're good though. Like, don't listen to him. I think we're good. And you're like, yeah, yeah. You know, cause, oh, cause you got that. Oh my God. Cause when you got those friends, like, everybody has two types of friends in a conflict, right? The kind of friends that just egg you on. They just like enable you. And then the other friends that are trying to advise you. But you know, when we want to be in a relationship or when we want to go a particular direction, we want to hear what we want to hear. Right? And we just go and we take the advice we want to hear. It's like, oh, this person's saying, wait, 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 careful. And this person's saying, yeah, do it. You're like, yeah yeah i'm gonna do it i'm not gonna listen to this person you go and that's exactly what happened to this centurion you know that's me and john john asked me for something should I go for this girl? Should I go for this class? Should I go for this direction? I'm like, bro, you got to check. And then everybody else is like, yeah, John, yeah. And he's like, yeah. And he just goes that direction. I completely blew up his spot. I apologize. If I hope, no, we're going to make sure he doesn't watch today's. Um, so, you know, everybody, we go through these, right? And Julius is literally in that situation, right? And you know, like, we, when we put ourselves in, in that person's shoes, it's like, like, we stay quiet, but we know in our hearts that we regret everything. <laughs> we regret everything. Man, if I just took two days to think about it. But you know, I listened to what I wanted to listen and you never, you never admit it, I always tell John I told you so and he looks the other way. Like he never ever 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 admits. But in the in the deepest recesses of your heart. That. and then well that's that's that and then and then there's a whole other element of complete and utter desolation not only the regret but now your actions have birthed complete destruction it's like everybody's about to die nobody knows what they're going for 14 days the wind is swirling around the ship has like completely lost direction there's no sun or stars everybody just thinks that they're going to die at sea you have to understand this time period was so like it's ancient Right, even in the 1600s, it was so easy for people to die if not of the sea of scurvy. Right, and this is the 18. This is that's that's the 1600s. That's even that's even the case in the 1800s. Right, like the whole reason why that song "It Is Well" exists is because Horatio Spafford, the Chicagoan lawyer, lost his two sis- his two daughters at sea. Right, it is so common even in the 1800s. But this is... We're talking about 59 AD, y'all. So, you know, like... And once you step on a boat and that boat is like, well, you know, God bless us all. Like, at that point, it's like, I'm taking a risk to go somewhere. I might really... I might really die. You know? And so at this point, everybody's expecting death. Even a couple days of being without direction can break someone's spirit. I mean, even... Not to not to compare this life or death situation to our career choices. But when somebody doesn't know what they want to do for even like six months, they start to do like we all start to wither inside because we get a little scared. You know, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? You know, when there's a lack of direction in any given situation, when there's a lack of direction, everybody kind of has a really hard time inside. And this this is a situation where you don't even know where you're going to be. It's a really terrifying situation. And then Julie has all this regret all that regret all because he didn't listen to Paul right and in the middle of everybody just laying around waiting for death to happen to them Paul stands up it's been 14 days at this point 14 days of the storm y'all it takes two days of the sun being cloudy for me to get all sad no actually one day maybe half a day half a day of boom and I'm already down an energy level. You know what I mean? But they were in completely in this life or death situation for 14 days. And Paul stands up. First thing he says, he establishes his competence as somebody who has experience as a traveler. And he basically says, I told y'all so. <laughs> He's that guy. You know what I'm saying? He's that guy. Like, everybody dying. And he stands up and he just says, well... The first thing I want to say is, I said that we shouldn't leave and we left and here we are, <laughs> right? So he starts off on this like complete, I told you so way, right? And then the second thing he says, normally when people say, I told you so, where do they go? I know where I go. When I say, I told you so, I elaborate on that. I told you so, right? I say, the first thing I said is. I don't want to say it but I told you so and then the next thing is you said this and I said that and you didn't listen to me but I know what I was saying and I don't going to run like you are dumb right that's not 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 you guys not you guys that's a hypothetical you um but that's like the normal way that people will kind of like you know like drag it out but Paul takes a very interesting direction he then exhorts everybody he goes I told you so and now be confident so everybody's like oh my god paul and then they're like now be confident he's like huh right what god's message to him we see here he mentions two things number one that it is god's will that paul stands trial before the emperor in rome paul first and foremost he mentions the will of god and then the second thing he mentions is that god has graciously given favor to everybody on the ship those are the two parts of his exhortation. The first thing is, is God's will that I go there. And the second thing is, is God has granted me favor to all of you. So he first starts off with this, I told you so. He goes in an unexpected direction and an excer- through an exhortation to be confident because God will get him to Rome and with him, all of them and all of their lives. Finally, he gives a prediction. He says, we're gonna run aground on an island. We need to run aground on an island. Now, when you first read that, you're like, okay. But well, running aground for a ship is is brutal. Um, the preferred thing is for the sea the storm to stop and for the ship to dock safely. So even after, like, I'm sure these guys are taking on a roller coaster ride, like just listening to Paul, because Paul first starts up with, I told you so, and then he says, Be confident because God's gonna make us there, and then he says, We're gonna run aground. Right, Like it's... Oh, like be confident. Like God's going to keep his promises. Like God's going to send you to Rome. Okay, the storm's going to stop then, right? We're going to be able to dock on harbor, right? We're going to make it to Rome, right? No, Paul actually says we we need to run aground. So it doesn't go according to the plan. They keep going. The sailors... Predict The sailors all of a sudden, they're like, hmm, the water's getting really shallow. They check, they go a little further, they check again. Sure enough, the water is getting shallower and shallower. There are a lot of rocks and reefs on shallow ground. So they put their anchors down and they try to escape. But Paul says no. Later on, when the ship does run aground on this island that is hard to run aground on, the sailors intend to kill the prisoners, or the soldiers intend to kill the prisoners, but the centurion says no, Peace. he wants to save Paul. Paul then breaks bread. He says, it's been 14 days, y'all, since y'all ate. He goes, I always paraphrase this, but he goes, you know, I know God said that he's going to save us, but y'all, it's been 14 days. Y'all need to eat, okay? Everybody eat. So he breaks this bread, passes it along, total of 270 people get to eat. The exact number, I believe, is the exact number is 276. Right? All of them get to eat. And it's really reminiscent of God feeding the 5,000, right? It's this provision of God. And then they run around on land and they come off. They land in this island called Malta, The native people there make them a fire because it's raining and it's cold. And Paul brings wood for this fire. All of a sudden, this viper, viper is a poisonous snake, comes to the fire and bites Paul. The initial reaction is, like if you put yourself, if you, if you put yourself in Paul's shoes for one second, so God says it is my will for you to be in Rome. So Paul is prisoner in Jerusalem for two years. Then he appeals to Caesar. He goes before Agrippa and Bernice. Then he gets on a ship for Italy. That ship almost cr- like wrecks and it does end up wrecking except it's on an island. And after all of that nonsensical madness for the Lord, a viper bites him <laughs> as soon as he comes out <laughs> to And the people, then they, that's like, I don't know, you know? Like, some of us, sometimes we feel like we're having a bad day. I don't know, y'all. <laughs> I don't know, you know? That's a... That really is the top of that's the top of my list for bad days, you know. And the the native people they're like, yo, this guy this guy's got something wrong. Like even even people that don't know God they're like, yo, this guy is either really bad or he is really sad. Because how the heck does he survive that only <laughs> to get bit by a, a poisonous snake? He about to drop dead. If you guys know anything about vipers, it takes about five minutes for somebody to die by a poison. If the viper is poisonous enough five five minutes maybe less poisonous a few hours right so it's it's a big deal that he got bit uh that poison probably went straight to his bloodstream but Paul shook it off and and cooked it <laughs> So at that too like, you get bit. <laughs> Like, yo, Homer, go away, man. This is, this is the story of the century. Like, this guy gets bit by a Viper after all of that, and he goes (laughs) into the fire. And it just drops in the fire, and it starts cooking. And everybody's like, huh? Like, what is going on here? And everybody's expecting for him to drop dead, but he ain't dropping dead. They're like, oh it goes from this guy must be a murderer to this guy's a god you know <laughs> because he gets bit and it's like and it falls off and everybody's good everybody's chill It's like what the hell is going on right and then he stays at the chief man of the island his place and the chief man his father is dying of fever and dysentery and then Paul goes and heals him all of a sudden Paul doesn't just become this, this god he also becomes this healer everybody starts bringing their sick to him and he starts healing them and they treat him like a hero at the very end. Man, can you imagine if you were in the shoes of Julius? You know, by the time Paul starts talking, do you guys realize something? By the time Paul starts talking, there, there ain't no mention of the leadership of Julius no more. <laughs> you know, Paul talks, he says it, he restores everybody's spirits, they get encouraged, they eat. They eat. They run on shore. There are multiple situations. The centurion says, save Paul. They come on shore. Paul gets bit by a viper. He shakes it off. The viper cooks. Paul is fine. He starts healing people. He has treated a hero. Probably one of the craziest stories in the New Testament. Like... Other than the story of Jesus, maybe the craziest one. Other than other than the gospels and revelation, this one is probably meant like the craziest. You know what I'm saying? So like it's a it's a big deal what happens here. But can you imagine how you would feel as a centurion? Man, failed leadership, regrets, and then there's this whole situation of hopelessness, and then through Paul. Yo, honestly, I would not lift my head if I was a centurion. I would not lift my head because I have tried all my options. If you guys realize, even in the midst of the storm, the centurion and the chief the captain and the owner of the ship they do everything they can they cover they support the ship they lay down their sails they stop directing it they throw cargo off they do everything that they can every wise move to keep the ship afloat and everything all their expertise all their skills all their knowledge it fails they're stuck in this hopelessness and then through paul god says i'm going to save all of your lives i'm not going to save the ship but I'm gonna save all of y'all's lives. Can you imagine that? You've tried your own way. You're in the midst of a hard situation, and then God, in the middle of that, is like, "I'm with you, and I'm gonna get you out of that." You've done everything. And you're like, "Okay, well, this situation is happening. The wise thing for me to do is to go this way," and then that fails, and then that, and it's like, "Oh, well, let me go this." And that fails and Paul goes I don't think we should then, mm, we're going to do what I want to do and that fails and you're stuck and you about to die and God says I'm going to get you out of that and through impossible situations he surely does they're in a situation where it's hopeless and it's hard to trust in God You might, you might ask, Jane, if it is indeed the will of God. Like if, if this is indeed the will of God, Jane, why did it have to happen with so much destruction? Couldn't God have found a better way? How come God couldn't have just meant, like, saved the ship? God could have commanded the seas to stop and it could have stopped. Is that not on God? Does God not love these people? See, in that question, the assumption is is that what we know is the best way out. And the short answer to that question, to that counter-argument, is that I have no idea why God does things in the way that he does. But what I do know is that God surely does fulfill what he has promised and what he has purposed. What he has promised and what he has purposed. What he said he will do and what he said you will do, right? Those things will happen. Be it through rescue from the situation or the ability to persevere or the provision of courage to face the trial. Whatever it may be, God will provide with you the tools. God will provide you with the tools. But I don't know why God does the the things that he does. And I will say this is a very unnecessary situation. Like It's clear. It's a storm that is both really catastrophic and really unnecessary when you consider the power of God. But in that, we also see our rule and God's rule. What are we to expect of God? A lot of the times when we get disappointed in God, when we get angry at God, it's because we expected of God something that we maybe... Maybe it was never part of God's will or even his character. God is not a genie that makes our situations better. He is a person that died for us, that is with us, that builds us up, that raises us, that promises us himself and stays with us at all costs. In that situation, we might expect him to be a genie. But God will continue to be God. And that's hard. That's hard to deal with. Especially when you're in Julius' shoes. You're in the midst of a hard situation. God's like, I'm going to get you out of that. At that point, I wouldn't be surprised if Julius was bitter at God. Why would you let that if you're real, God, why would you let this happen? Like, What good does it bring you? And yet, what are you expecting of God? If you wanted a genie, you might as well just put a vending machine in your room. Oh, I prayed D8? Okay, ginger ale, you yeah. know? But God is not your tool. And he's going to continue to be himself. That's hard to swallow. And it's, I want to take us into our application of this. Like, How can we apply this into our lives right now? The first thing, the way that we can apply this, and that, that difficulty of the, the tension between, you know, what is good and why, why bad things even happen and, one way that we can apply this into our lives? When a curveball of destruction or division or heartbreak when a curveball of destruction or division or heartbreak comes your way and you don't understand why it had to be that way, remember that God is in your midst. It does suck. When we put God to our standards of what we want him to be what we expect him to be a curve ball sucks. We all of a sudden realize that we're no longer in control of our lives. We realize that we don't know what's going on anymore. It sucks. But God is in your midst. God doesn't promise us his provision. He promises us his, pro- he promises us his presence. I say this over and over and over again. Remember that God is in your midst. Like, when I think about an impossible situation in a storm, I think about my family. Um, You guys have heard this story over and over again, so I'll keep it short. Um, But we also have a lot of new members. And, you know, my family was like textbook broken um it was just really bad you know the first time I was abused was psychologically and physically and verbally and I was three um grew up without a dad um had somebody enter into my life that was absent like enter into my life only to be absent was really mistreated sexually by my piano teacher at six um you know, went through a lot of brokenness at seven. Um, seven was the first time I, I thought to harm myself. Seventh grade was the first time I actually did it. Oh, no. Seventh grade was the second time. Seven was the first time. Um, grew up really angry. You know, didn't fully find my place in church and, and school. Um but at home, it was just flipping upside down. People fighting every day. Just, there's a wheel in psychology of five. There are five types of abuse, apparently. And I have been through all five before the age of seven. Um, so my anger towards my parents were a lot. Now, that's, that's what I can say about myself right now. That it was abusive, right? But then, okay, I don't want to get to that right now. But, that was what on my end. Like as a as a 7-year-old, as a 3-year-old, I just felt like I just felt like I was in a place where I was just like broken. Um and there was no way to mend my relationship with my mom. There was no way to mend my relationship with my dad. I blamed them for everything. I blamed my mom for everything. Um, and there was just no way out of that for for a long time. A lot of that anger manifested itself in high school. And then I gave up on life and tried to kill myself at, in junior year. Like, a lot of people, when they hear the story that of our family, it's a really impossible one. But the impossibility of it even stems before me. Like, my mom... My mom and I are best friends now, um, and now I know that what I even what I remember is subjective. And I'm not saying that she didn't do bad things to me, but I don't necessarily consider it as abusive anymore um, because I know her and I love her and I see her as a person. But my mom has been through an impossible situations; like she shouldn't even be alive. She went through hell and back just to survive that far. Um, gave birth to me alone. Um, so it, it was just. You know, it's, it's just very, like, I feel like if, if, uh, this Northeaster could be an analogy, I feel like my whole life has kind of been a Northeaster. Um, just, there was not a single part of my life that was easy. Even down to socioeconomic status, like, we were poor growing up. Uh, we weren't, we weren't the best off in inner city Queens. You know, I went to school, even when I went to school, like, good school, gifted in talented program, like, I was still in the hood. And, you know, you grow up a particular way in the hood. You grow up learning how to survive. You grow up around people that are just as broken as you. Like a lot of friends that I had back then didn't finish high school. It's unfathomable to think about in Massachusetts, but that's the way that I grew up. Like, life was never never not a battleground. And I never not had, like, I always had to fight. I always had to stand guard. I always had to be guarded. And, you know, I left my house junior year Ended up living with my grandmother in the city. Didn't go to church. Stopped going to church after a hellish mission trip. Um, It was just an impossible situation where I had all but given up on God. Didn't believe that he would... If You know, I just... I believed in him, but I I just didn't believe that he loved me. And was just at a really broken place where I I didn't want to talk to my family anymore. Um, My insides were all but broken. And... You know, if if that kind of hopelessness existed, I think I really felt that at 16, Um, where I was really, I was really, really, really positive that I wouldn't live past graduation, my high school graduation. So I let all my close friends know, like, I'm going to commit suicide. And when I do, I want you to know it's not your fault. Um, a lot of my friends tried to convince me out of it, but it was—it was there was just I—I I had already decided if I have if I'm not going to have any control over my situation, the at least, at least the one thing I can have control over is when my life ends. Um, and so I, I just started self-destructing. That's where I was when I was a senior in high school, right? Now I am about seven years out of that, and. My family is completely restored, you know? I have a wonderful relationship. My mom and I, we are, we are tight. My mom and I are best friends. If you ever meet her, you'll know she's like me, but older. Um, and she and I are real, real tight. Like I know a lot about her life. She knows a lot about mine. It's hard for her because she loves me so much to deal with what her pain had manifested as in my heart. Um, because I don't think she realized what she was doing to a young girl. Um, but we've talked through that and I've completely forgiven her because I understand where she's coming from, like me and my... My, my dad, he's he's my dad. He's my one and only father, and I love him to death. Um, but if you told me at 16 in my Nor'easter, in my impossible storm that I wasn't going to live past, that God had a plan for me, i will be like, for lack of a better word, I'd be like, F you, man. Like, no. You don't get to speak into my life that way. If you told me that God was good, and that he has his will, I would laugh in your face and probably spit at your feet. Um because at that point the idea that a loving God would put me through the life that I was living was extremely excruciating. Um that's that's just where I was. Um, and yet, like right out of High school, in my first year of college, God met me. God met me, not with, not with a call to repentance from the ratchet life I had been living, not, not, not with shame, not with judgment, not with, Jane, you're doing the wrong thing, you gotta start coming back to church. No discipline, no nothing. He was just like, I love you. I actually love you. I love you so much and I here. And that resounding, that resounding call in my heart during my winter retreat in college, my first year of college changed my life. Granted, it took me two, three years to be transformed fully, to, to be restored with my parents, to be restored as a person, to genuinely heal and forgive. Maybe not completely forget, but completely forgive. Uh, And to completely be restored and strengthened, that didn't happen out of my own strength. And I don't know how to convince you that impossible situations can get better, except with my life. Um, I believe that God has made people like me in this world just to show people how powerful he can be. And if there's anything I've learned... Like, you know, I was, like, about to admit myself into hot foster care. My principal was going to be my foster mom. Like, you know, it is, nothing is impossible to God. And I can't, I can't explain to you why things happen. I don't know. I can't articulate, like, it's hard for me to think about it too hard right? I don't know why God does what he does. But what I do know is, is that God can do all things and that there's no situation, no amount of brokenness that God can't heal, no impossible situation that God can't mend, no broken relationship that God can't restore, no life that God can't bring back. That's who God is. I can't tell you why things happen, but at the very least, As somebody who has been past an impossible situation and is alive, by God's grace, I'm alive. That is the biggest miracle of my life, that I lived to see 25. In the midst of that impossible situation, all I can say is that God is with you. God is actually with you. Whatever you think that is impossible in your life, whatever insurmountable obstacle you you see yourself in, whatever family relationship, whatever brokenness, whatever hardship, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to act like I can fathom what you're going through. Or maybe even the relationship with God is something that feels impossible. You've been trying and trying for years and nothing has worked. Let me tell you, I was trying and trying for years. You think I didn't try praying to God? Every time I my house flipped upside down and people had to go to the hospital or people were about to go to the hospital you know like of course of course but God is here he is with you there's not a situation where God is not with you even in the most impossible situation I came here to tell you that God is with you And he sees your pain, and he sees your tears, and he sees your confusion, and he sees your doubt, and he sees your hopelessness, and he is right next to you, even when you don't believe it for yourself. Even when you don't value yourself, God values your life. The second thing to apply is that none of your plans stand against the will of God. Um, you know, we make a lot of plans. Like when, when bad, when, when things are even confusing, just maybe it doesn't have to be that extreme or severe. Maybe things are going on, you know, in your life where you're trying to decide where, like you're not in a good place and you're trying to decide where to go or how, what to pursue next, or you're navigating through a confusing relationship, or you're navigating through a, cons- a confusing situation, or you're navigating through confusing family situations, or even navigating through COVID for your family, you're stuck in this terrible situation, or maybe even worse than that, an impossible situation you don't know how to navigate. The human instinct is to rationalize it and make plans. You know, I, I do that all the time. When I feel like something is impossible, the first thing I do is I'll make a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D. you know? Because I'm like, well, if this fails, then I got to do this. And if this fails, I got to do that. And if that fails, I got to do this, right? And we see that in Julius. He really tried it, y'all. There is probably nothing that he could have done to prevent the Northeaster from going about that way because he's probably exhausted every single one of his options. Seems like a rational guy, knows how to be humane to prisoners. You know? Listens to the captain. All of these things were sound decisions to make. And yet, none of his plans stood before the will of God. Sometimes in our pride, or maybe in our fear, we try to set up a plan. It's like, well, I don't know what to happen about this, so let me do what I can. Let me fix this situation. Well, this situation is crashing and burning, maybe let me fix this relationship. Let me do what I can. Let me cover the people that I can cover. but the will of God is the will of God and God is the same yesterday, today and forever and he will truly fulfill what he's promised and purposed be it through rescue from the situation or the ability to persevere or even the courage to face death he provides what you need even if you feel like he doesn't Jane, why doesn't God just? What I want is not a bad thing. When I want for all of this to be over, when I want for all of this to be better, like, what I want is not a bad thing. You're right. But have you waited on the Lord? Are you itching to see the other side? Or have you waited on the Lord? Have you listened to him? What have your prayers been like? Have you been asking for things, or have you been asking for him, asking him for himself? Have you seen the God that sees you? Or do you see the God you wanted to be? This is a hard application because I'm not telling you I'm not out here I'm not like a lot of these YouTube pastors that's like where God's will is he's going to make it happen he's going to make it better for you I can't promise that because I don't know the will of God but what I can promise is that he is with us every step of the way and at the end of the day As we see here with Paul, the prisoner made a hero. The person nobody listened to made the leader. God, the people of God are vindicated and are legitimized. Even when people strike you down, even when people don't hear you out, even when people silence you or silence the people you love, God's people will be legitimized and vindicated. There will come a point. It may not be now, but wait on the Lord. For you will see a day, you will see a day where you will be able to look me in the face and say, that's what God's mercy did for me. Can we take a minute to pray? As we reflect on the fact that God is with us in every impossible situation. As we reflect on the fact that God is with us in every trial, my question for you today is, have you opened your heart to this God that is with you? A lot of us, we might be, especially in quarantine, I really, you know, I, when I pray for our ministry, I really feel that like a lot of people feel stuck, um, just stuck in their relationship with the Lord and stuck in our relationship with one another and stuck um, just in limbo because of this new normal where, you know, we don't get to have community the same way. We don't get to be there for each other the same way. And that has really taken a toll, not just on our ministry, but on the world. And yet, what does it mean for you right now to be confronted with the reality that God is with you? That he has not forsaken us, that he has not abandoned us, that while we are in a situation that we don't understand, that God will do what he has promised. It might not be, like, we are not God. We might not need to know all the answers to why God did this and why God did that, but what we can be certain of it's the character of God. Because the most impossible situation is not the nor'easter In our own lives, it's not the nor'easter that Paul came across that sabotaged that ship and almost killed everybody. The most impossible situation that God made possible is reconciliation with him. It's salvation. You're dying on the cross for us. <laughs> Willingly showing up. And it is in our God that we can have hope. We can rejoice in our sufferings. We can be confident in our trials. Not because the circumstances are going to get better. Because we have a hope in a person that is still here. Can you just lift up this time and pray with me? God, I want you and I want to trust in you and I'm in this impossible situation right now and I don't see the other end of the tunnel. But God, I want to believe what is being said right now. Can we just... Can we just pray that forth? Can we just ask God for faith to believe, to endure? Ask God for more of His presence. Ask God for a greater realization of His presence. Ask God for His mercy. Let's pray. From wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.